Hey, Steve hanging out with Dan Schaefer this morning. He's our regular guest every Tuesday, 9.30-ish. Morning, Dan. Good morning, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. You can see his work in the recombobulation area. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's probably one of the best writers on Wisconsin politics that we have. And let's start with this. There's still a lot of conversation about 794. Mm-hmm. And there's some movement on that story, at least shaping where the conversation will go next. Where are we at? Yeah, so I, I wrote a piece uh, about a month or so ago about when it, we were kind of at the end of the public comment deadline for this piece. And at that point, Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Department of Transportation had a number of options for what uh, what would be next for 794. Uh, and basically what I was arguing in that piece was that, you know, a full removal option for 794 should at least be studied, should at least move to the next phase so we can understand the costs, we can better understand the impacts. Uh, and it sounds like that's what happened. So yesterday there was a, a meeting with Wisconsin Department of Transportation with the ICC uh, in Milwaukee here, and, and they presented a number of options basically saying that, you know, they had a number of options that were voted off the island and uh, freeway removal made it made it made the cut to the next phase, which well, I think is important. Yes, it's it's an option. And right. for the folks who aren't in the Milwaukee area or in southeast Wisconsin, this is essentially we're talking about the piece from the market interchange to the connector to the the Hone Bridge, seven ninety four South. That that's true. Right. Not the Hone Bridge. Not we the should, Hone we Bridge. We should make very clear, not yes. the Hone Bridge. We're not doing anything to the Hone Bridge here. So beyond but. total removal, what are some of the options that they're talking about? Well, I think some of the some of what they've been talking about is slimming it down. So I think that you know the impetus for this conversation to begin with was the fact that the the a number of the ramps and bridges and kind of connectors you know in between the Marquette Interchange and the Hone Bridge are reaching the end of their useful life. So the Wisconsin Department of Transportation proposed replacing all of these and re- proposed it with a sticker price of three hundred million dollars. Uh, I think a lot that caused a lot of people to take a step back and say, "Whoa, do we really? Is this really what we want to be doing with seven ninety four with these you know with this infrastructure uh, going forward? Is there a more affordable option? Is there a more effective option uh, that we can explore?" So I think that's how you. Know, more or less how the conversation got started uh and so i think some of the other options would have you know maybe fewer on and off ramps in that stretch uh maybe a smaller overall highway footprint uh in that stretch but maintaining the connection from uh the home bridge to 294 west whenever i talk about 794 i always get this question so what do you do for the folks who are traveling north uh, over the home bridge 794 are uh, they want to connect to the marquette and then go north or west mm-hmm. what do you say to those folks what what will their experience be like if there's no longer that high level connector yeah i think i think you just have to look at i43 i think i43 serves as that connector for a lot of the you know south side south suburban communities and perhaps instead of taking the home bridge you could take I-43, which is already there, uh, obviously, uh, you know, we, there would be some traffic impacts, of course. But I think a lot of people use that bridge to get to downtown. And I think that is the primary, if you look at the data and how it's used, the main use of that bridge for it is to get to downtown, not to get to uh, the other connections. I think that's why that's where more people use I-43. I would agree with that. One of the comments that I heard, I was talking to one of the Southside mayors recently, mm-hmm. a week ago. Maybe two weeks ago. And he mentioned the fact that, yeah, there's that. I mean, and if you're talking about Cudahy, St. Francis, South Milwaukee, even Oak Creek to some extent, that is a, that is a way that they, their people choose to travel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they can go on 94, but 94 has its own issues, right? Often very congested where the, the hone 794 options less congested. 
So if we and if we take away this is the big picture point he was trying to make. We take away that option for people who would like to connect to ninety four West or forty three North out of the Marquettes. Are you cutting the knees off Cudahy, South Milwaukee, and St. Francis economically or even on the development side of things? Yeah, I think I think you have to look at it as opening up opportunities for, for more development uh, as well. There's going to be more opportunities for more, more development downtown. And I think with that, you know, there there's space to kind of reimagine and rethink uh, the infrastructure there as well. I understand those concerns. Those concerns have brought, been brought up by a number of those uh, mayors and some of those south suburban communities. I don't think those should be discounted at all as part of this conversation. Uh, but I But I do think we have to recognize that we already have an interstate that connects to the market interchange that, that is runs very close uh, to many of those South suburban communities. I haven't seen this. And maybe if I, if it's been out there, I missed it. If it goes street level, mm-hmm. what's the price tag on that? We're talking 300 million for a replacement update. What's the price cost expense of a street level connector? That's the part we don't know yet. That's the part that they have never meaningfully studied. So I think, you know, the Wisconsin Department of Transportation, I've, I've covered them for a number of years, and I, I wrote a big series on I-94 East-West expansion. Uh, they're very resistant to new ideas and have been historically, regardless of, you know, who's in the governor's seat, whether it was Scott Walker or Tony Evers. They've had they've had a pretty similar approach to infrastructure in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, the I-94 East-West project is the, is a perfect example of that. And basically the same project that that Walker proposed is the one that that Evers has proposed as well. So I think, you know, part of that part of the pushback to that study or, or that project is wanting to study a six-lane option, wanting to study a removal of the stadium freeway, wanting to get a better understanding of what the cost differences would be with an eight-lane freeway versus a six-lane freeway. Now we're now now we're at that phase with seven ninety-four, and and they have been you know they basically what Wistot proposed was three hundred million dollars to do the exact same thing over again, and I think it's right for people to to push back and say maybe we don't want to do the same thing with that type of price tag. Let's look at what. What, you know, maybe a similar price tag. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's less. We don't know. Until we study it, we, we don't really know. Do you think Evers' support of the uh, redo of uh, the East-West um, surprised people who are opponents of more freeways or widened free? Did it catch him off guard? Because he's, like you said, it's basically the same plan. He just advanced it. Yeah, I think it did. I think it did surprise a lot of people, you know, at the time. And, you know, we're thinking back a couple of years now. He proposed this. Uh, in 2020, I think most of the conversation about it was was during 2021. I wrote a in-depth piece on that, uh, uh, a multi-part series on the uh, expansion and widening of I-94. Uh, there were a number of environmental groups, in particular, that saw the the governor's climate change task force and things like that, saying that you know, in the long term, highways contribute to climate change, contribute to pollution in the in the region, and yet he still went forward with with the expansion option. Um, just a little praise for you. One of my friends who's a conservative, a, a strong conservative, said he appreciates your writing because it gives him a sense of, he said the other side, but just kind of looking at things in a different way on 794 and some of the other issues that you and I have talked about. So always appreciate when people have that kind of feedback for the guests that we have on this show. Love that feedback. Appreciate that. Tell your friend thank you. I will right, we'll do that. Dan <laughs> Schaefer, the Recombobulation Area, joining us as he does every Tuesday, 930 to 10. We'll take a break. bunch of other things we want to talk about, including the question that's on everybody's mind when it comes to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Recuse or not recuse? Sorry, Shakespeare. We'll get to that after this on WTMJ.
Dan Schaefer, our guest, as he is every Tuesday, 9.30 to 10, here on WTMJ Now. All right, Dan, you wrote a great piece on the Brewers funding question, and you did an interesting side-by-side with the Bucks versus the Brewers. What did it tell you? Yeah, I think, you know, we had this, uh, these stadium debates are very, very divisive, very, you know, uh, very controversial. They also in a lot don't of ways. always align by political ideology, I've found out. I think that's a very interesting, I think yeah. that's what draws me to these types of issues. They don't cut across no. traditional political lines. Like last week in the, the public hearing, uh, that the state held at State Fair Park, I think there were, back-to-back speakers from the very conservative American for Prosperity and the Liberal Citizen Action for Wisconsin, both speaking against the yeah. uh, the stadium funding. So I always think it's interesting when things don't cut a- along traditional political lines. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the, what I wrote last week uh, at the Recombibulation Area, published in partnership with my friends over at Milwaukee Record, was a breakdown of the proposed deal for American Family Field and the deal that passed for Pfizer Form. I think we need to use... This example in our very recent history, which I think most people would say has been pretty successful thus yeah. far, um, you know, bringing the Deer District, building Pfizer Forum, all, all the different activity that that has that ha- that has been a catalyst for downtown. I think we should look at that deal. What was effective about it? What wasn't? What was in that deal? What what isn't in the Brewers deal? So I think there are some commonalities there. You know, there was kind of the the. The pitch from state government saying that the cheaper to keep them, that that was one of the things that was, you know, similar to wanting, wanting to divert, you know, some of the projections for state income tax payments for, you know, the the players and team personnel for the Bucks and the Brewers. That was a key part of both deals. That was what was in common. But I think there are some some key differences here. You know, some of the special taxes that have gone to fund Pfizer Forum, like the car rental tax and the hotel room tax. That's not part of this. The ticket surcharge uh, that is on the American Family Field deal projected to. To you know, net the uh, the state sixty million dollars over the thirty year lease. That's not a part of the Brewers deal. Now, Rick Schlesinger came in and said he wanted a ticket surcharge on non Brewers events at at American Family Field. There's not that many of those. I saw some comments over the weekend, but there from, could be more if they invest in, in some heat for that building. That's true. The the winterizing, the twenty five million dollar winterizing, which I think is the best is bargain in the world. Yeah, it's you, very you have interesting. To do this. You have to do this. I I do wonder how many events though are really that, drawing more than thirty thousand people in the winter. Fair you know question. what came up often in the public hearing was a Taylor Swift concert. Right, of right. course, that would be great, but. Wouldn't she more likely come in as, in a summer event as well? Probably, you know, probably. I don't know. All right, so do you think we talk a lot about the Deer District and what the Bucks have done in that area where a freeway used to be? Are the are, do you think the Brewers organization owner leadership is as committed to that concept as the Bucks were? Because I'm not sure that's true. I don't think they are. I don't think they have been have prioritized the economic development. In the region surrounding the ballpark, the same way that the Bucks have. So why is that? I, I really don't understand. I know that they've talked about wanting to preserve tailgate culture, and I think you know that that can be done while still developing some of the parking lots because they have twelve thousand parking spaces. It wasn't even full last week when they had a home playoff game on a beautiful day. Uh, so I think that is you know some of those images that you saw, uh, you know, lend some credence to the fact that. Maybe there are better uses for this. And I think, I think one key piece of the deal, if you look at the city's portion uh, of, if you look at my breakdown, the city's portion of the deal on Pfizer Forum versus the city's portion of the proposal 
for American Family Field. The city portion, they financed the cons- the construction of the Deer District as part of the tax in- incremental financing package uh, that was passed by the Milwaukee Common Council there. And so there is no equivalent to that. This is what, what the state deal does for American Family Field. It basically just lops off a little bit of the shared revenue. And there's no none of the incentives for greater and economic development surrounding that. I think that is a key difference, and I think that is the difference that needs to be resolved if this is going to pass. I'll give them a quick, easy answer for their concern about parking spots. Yes, tailgate is important, but I'm not asking, we're not asking to remove all the lots. The Bucks have a great example. They've got their, what is it, four or five-story parking structure adjacent to Fiserv. Mm-hmm. You put one or two of those at the remote areas of the current parking lot, that increases the volume of cars in those areas, you can probably get rid of that north parking lot, which is on the north side of 94, and perhaps another small piece. Those are then areas that you can actually put a a building in, uh, a business, something related to the stadium. Those are all opportunities that you have to think differently. And to think that in 2023, parking is the same as it was in 1971 is unrealistic, especially when you're talking about economic development. Unrealistic to think it's going to be the same in 2050 at the end yes. of this lease, too. Yes. So I think, yeah, here's one Here's one idea. You know, the, the Yount and Euchre lots that are east of the Menominee River, how about we shrink those by half and build a beer garden on the Menominee River? How about that? Yeah. There's so many different options that are not being explored in this that, that I think could be. If folks want to read your great piece on this story, how do they find it? You can find it at the Recombobulation area. I link to all of my stories there. This one I published in partnership with my friends over at Milwaukee Records, so you can read that article there. He's Dan Schaefer. joins us every Tuesday on WTMG. Now, after the break, the recusal question that I teased before. We'll get to that and more after this. We are joined in studio by Dan Schaefer, tremendously talented political writer. You don't have to agree with everything he says, but I read it every week, and I learn when I read it. So a compliment to you, and I mentioned that my friend complimented you, and other people are doing the same thing. You can find him at the Recombobulation area. You can subscribe. You can get that content every week. What's it cost? Most of our content is available for for, yeah, for free, yeah. so you can become a free subscriber, get that in your inbox, uh, and then if you want to, you know... If you enjoy our work and want to see us grow and become an even bigger part of the local media landscape, become a paid subscriber. Just five bucks a month to get started. Not too bad. Bargain. All right. So a little bit of time left. We want to talk about the recusal question. Um, There's this independent panel supposedly set up by Robin Voss. We've learned that one of them is the former Justice Prosser. Some questions about who the other identities are. But um, basically the message from Prosser was... You can't re- you can't expect recusal on this. It, it doesn't rise to the level. It's not criminal activity. Yeah, there was a. Or I don't know if exactly if it was released as a statement or released as part of public record this morning. I'm still trying to figure out uh, exactly what happened, but it does look like uh, David Prosser said is advising Robin Voss against impeachment, right. saying, "quote I do not see any evidence of corrupt conduct after Justice Protasewicz took office." Um, this impeachment thing is is so ridiculous that Robin Voss has pursued. It's ridiculous that he hasn't dropped it entirely. Maybe he's trying to, you know, kind of build in these these suggestions or whatever from from folks like David Prosser saying that he should should drop it and give him some sort of out. But even bringing it up to begin with is ridiculous. And I think, um, you know, blocking the the redistrict redistricting case, um, you know, that. Robin Voss is going to go to any length he can to protect these ridiculously gerrymandered maps. It's an overused term, but elections have consequences. And if conservatives don't like the direction of the court, they have every option to try to win when these justices come up for election. And they didn't. that didn't happen. Matter of fact, it was a good old-fashioned butt-whipping. 
and lessons learned maybe need better candidates, better ideas, better thoughtfulness on where Wisconsin is going as a state. Um, Speaker Voss apparently said that this will end up in the U.S. Supreme Court. I am of no conviction that says they're going to do anything with this case. Yeah, I think, you know, it was interesting. If you look back to the last round of the of how of, of the redistricting cases, which did go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled uh, on the, the challenge to the maps uh, that were brought forth um, by the left, I guess, is that, you know, one of the things that they said was that they wanted these issues to be adjudicated by state courts and not the U.S. Supreme Court. And that's why they ultimately ruled in the manner that they did uh, a couple of years ago. And I think now, is that going to, is the Supreme Court going to take this up? I don't know. I think that is, you know, of course, you know, well within their rights to explore the option of whether that's going to be a possibility. I think also an option is just to go forward with the case and see, see, what, see what happens. Yeah. Elections have consequences. Dan Shaver, always great to talk to you. We'll do it again next Tuesday. Thanks so much.